W-P-H-A-T. You're listening to the number one health and wellness podcast, the place where health and consciousness connect. Perfectly, Perfectly healthy, healthy and tone, tone radio, radio with your host, Darren McDuffie. And now, prepare to get fat. What's cracking, fam? Darren McDuffie here, alias Fat Man, because I help you become perfectly healthy and toned and conscious, of course. And this podcast is being brought to you by PerfectlyHealthyAndToned.com. I'll be your host for the next hour where we discuss body beliefs with Amy Rout. Before getting into episode 165, we'll talk a little bit about 164. Really great podcast I did with Miriam Kalamian. Got a chance to meet Miriam in person at the West Palm Beach Low Carb Conference and we talked a lot about her book and some of the things that she was doing. One of the things I really want to express to you about this episode is it's kind of near and dear to my heart because I lost my mom to cancer and I wish that I would have known about the ketogenic diet when my mom was suffering from this disease. I really want you to know that diet matters. If you know someone who has cancer or a loved one or maybe even a friend, let them know that it's imperative that they change their diet. I've heard so many great things about keto and so many people being able to reverse cancer, being able to put this disease into remission just through changing their diet. There's some other factors in there, but really changing the diet. When I was at the low carb conference, I saw so many good things about people who had changed their diet and were able to get over brain tumors and other conditions associated with cancer. So if you know someone who's out there who might be suffering from cancer, again, a loved one or just a friend, let them know that they can change their diet and they can have hope with this disease. So getting into episode 165 with Amy Rout, we talk about body beliefs. I've talked about this so much with regards to how it affects our lifestyle, how it affects the amount of money you make. And I've told so many personal stories about beliefs that I had that were limiting. They weren't serving me to be able to move forward in my life. And Amy gets into a lot about beliefs and how we have to reframe our beliefs to move forward, especially with autoimmunity. So we'll be talking specifically about autoimmunity as it pertains to women and some of the things Amy does with her clients to have them reframe autoimmune diseases and be able to look at their body from a different perspective. So without further ado, let's get into Amy's bio. Author, acupuncturist, and herbalist, Amy Raup is a women's health and wellness expert whose mission through her teachings is to educate and inspire women, improve their vitality, celebrate their beauty, and guide them to reconnect to the presence of their optimal health. Amy's work focuses on reawakening wellness rather than curing illness. Amy has appeared on several television programs, including ABC's television's The View and Fox's television's Good Day New York. She is also a frequent women's health columnist and speaker and has presented lectures at She Summit, Wanderlust, and numerous women's health and wellness conferences. Coming up on episode 165 with Amy Raup entitled Body Beliefs. Here is what you are going to learn. Why are most of our thoughts hostile? If you know anything about autoimmunity, you know that autoimmunity is the body attacking itself. But many people don't know that they have hostile thoughts. These thoughts of them attacking themselves manifest themselves in the body. So Amy does a great job of talking about why are most of our thoughts hostile and how you can change those thoughts. How many thoughts do we think a day? Many people don't know that. I certainly didn't know that. And Amy talks about how many thoughts that we have a day and how, again, you can change your thoughts to make them work for you and not against you. Why do we feel that we are not good enough? A lot of people, a lot of women have worthiness issues and for some reason or another, most people don't feel that they deserve anything in life. And Amy and I discuss this for a bit and then tell you what you can do to turn those things around. And I even share one of my own life stories of how I, I changed this and how I turned some things around. How to understand your inner critic. We have inner critics. Most of us criticize ourselves as well as criticize others. But how do you understand your inner critic and how do you talk to your inner critic? Why is bone broth good for healing the gut? Amy is a big fan of bone broth and she talks about why this is so good for healing the gut and what this has to do with autoimmune issues. Why you should focus on what's good about your body. In our society, we tend to focus on 
what's wrong instead of what's going well. And you'll discover in this podcast is why you should really start to focus on what's going right and how that can help you with any autoimmune conditions, with any body beliefs that you have. And we go into a lot about this particular issue and how you can transform it. Episode 165 is coming up right now. Amy Raup, welcome back to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you? I am doing well, Darren. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming back. I think I was doing some research before the show, and I realized that we did our last podcast in 2016. Time flies. It's now ah. 2019, the beginning of 2019, but I can't believe we did that show over two years ago, and I believe that show we did uh, was on fertility, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was. Good. Gosh, that is, that's crazy. Right. Good. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. I think you, I've been doing some research. I think you've learned a lot more since about two years ago. You, <laughs> you knew, a, you knew a quite, quite a lot, but you've learned quite a bit more here. And I'm so eager to have the listeners get a chance to hear what you have to say tonight. Before we get into that, there might be some listeners who didn't go back and listen to that show in 2016. And my obligatory question for every guest that comes on the show is usually, how did you start your health journey? Mm. You know, I guess, you know, I think there's layers of it, right? I just, I just spoke at an event and that was, I had to open with that kind mm -hmm. of question and I had to really think about it. So I always had eczema my whole life, which was a pain in the butt. I didn't like it at all. And I had asthma and allergies. And that was like a childhood thing. Like I was hospitalized as a child several times for asthma. And, you know, eczema was always an issue that I, I dealt with my whole life. And, you know, I guess I kind of managed it through creams and the, my inhaler and avoiding the allergens, right? And then when I went to college, you know, studying biology and my plans were to become a medical doctor. And then I was in graduate school for biosciences and neuroscience and about to enter into a medical school program. And at that time, I had a pretty decent eating disorder. It was more intense when I was like freshman, sophomore year in college, but I was still dealing with an eating disorder and my eczema had gotten a lot worse. It was like on my face, on my eyes, and um, it was like, it was just devastating to me because I didn't even want to leave the house some days. And it was around that time that I really started to try to look deeper because again, you know, the Western model was just giving me lots of prescriptions to manage the situation and no one even asked or cared about the fact that I was like 90 pounds and vomiting up half of my meals. I say that kind of loosely just because, I mean, that's the truth of it though. And, you know, I wasn't getting really the attention that I needed. And that's when my, my parents knew what was going on though. My mother was always trying to get me to like different doctors to, you know, try to get me help. And I was introduced to, to acupuncture and Chinese medicine around that time. And I just became pretty intrigued and that really, I think, was like the crux and the turning point in my health journey because I I started to, you know, realize that the Western medical system, it's just, it can be very superficial and it, it, it's a band-aid for a lot of things. And I, although I respect it and, and know it's, its place and how necessary it is, for someone like me, it was just never going to actually help. I think it was just going to cover up the situation. And I, I needed more mind-body care. And that's what I got when I started seeing an acupuncturist. And, and then from there, you know, things just unfolded that then I decided to pursue Chinese medicine. And really, the, the true healing journey started when I entered into Chinese medicine school. And, you know, the first year, so much of the, the psychology aspect of the program is about healing thyself, you know, because you can't heal anybody else until you heal yourself. And that was really the first time that, you know, I, I, I got over the eating disorder, which was amazing. And the eczema began to clear up. I really changed my diet and my lifestyle and, you know, went through all sorts of changes. I, I ended a relationship that I'd been in for six years. And so there was a whole transformation that happened during that time when I was studying Chinese medicine. And, you know, I always look back on that. That's really, I feel like it, it saved me in so many ways and, and shifted me and the way I see health and medicine and treatment. And from there, yes, I just never looked back. Yeah, this is, 
I always tell people, usually illness is a blessing or it's something tragic. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah, it's always and a blessing. And although I never like, that sick, you know, but I mean, that eating disorder, that would have done some serious damage had I kept it up for much longer. And and it's just so fascinating to me, like I was missing my periods and, and no doctor that I saw. And my mother was on a mission because she knew what was going on. She just needed to get me the right help. She couldn't find the right doctor for me. No one seemed to care that, like, my BMI was so low, and that's why I wasn't menstruating, you know? It was like, it just, it was, it's so fascinating, you know? And then yet I walk into an acupuncturist's office, and the first thing she says is like, oh, you're so blood deficient, you're so skinny, you know, you need to eat fast, you need mm -hmm. to gain weight, and, you know, and then began the journey. But, yeah, it is, it was, it's a, it was a huge blessing. Yeah, something similar happened to me. But your book is called Body Belief, How to Heal Autoimmune Diseases, Radically Shift Your Health and learn to love your body more. And the book is primarily geared toward women. I know some men out there are going to be listening to the show, but the book is primarily geared towards women. And I'm kind of an odd person because I usually read the book from the front cover all the way to the back cover. I know sometimes people will skip over like the what it, the prologue or the preface of the book, but I always read that because I think that those things have little little gems in them. And in the beginning of your preface, it says it's estimated that one in nine women between the ages of 20 and 40, 45 will be diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. And one of the things that came to me when I read this is that we seem to have women in our culture seem to have a lot of body issues. I just saw recently where I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news where the girl who had a perfect 10, she had a perfect 10 score at a gymnastics thing. I think she's at UCLA. And and people were body shaming her. They were telling telling her that something was wrong with her body. And I'm like, look, she's a gymnast. This girl has muscles rippling yeah. out of her thighs and all this stuff. And people were body shaming her. Do you think our, our society kind of perpetuates this thing like a, a self-hate thing towards women? Because I know a, yeah. a lot of women have, have body issues because they are trying to live up to what society's standards. I absolutely do. Yeah, I don't think the media helps. And and we also, as women, we just become somehow our own worst critics. I feel like some of that, a lot of it, I guess, is just learned behavior. And perhaps our mothers didn't heal their wounds. And, and we, you know, that trickled down to us as well. Um, but yeah, you know, and I talk about that a lot in body belief, where there's this dialogue that's going on inside that is self-attacking self which is at the root of autoimmune conditions is the mm -hmm. body attacking itself on a cellular level and so where in there are you attacking yourself on you know, an emotional level and i do i mean women just fall prey to that and i i, I believe it's from society and just you know wh whatever you want to label it it's, it's just women seem to fall prey to this a lot more than men do and and we, i we suffer because of it. it you know, I always say there's the physical inflammation is at the root of many diseases, but no one's really looking at the emotional inflammation. And that's what I try to do in body release is obviously give them a real toolkit on how to heal physical inflammation, but that you first must start with the emotional inflammation. And that is that dialogue that you have with yourself in the privacy of your own mind. Do you believe that Speaking from a society's perspective and going through some things, personal things that I've gone through over the years, I always felt like I wasn't worthy enough to have certain things. Do you believe that there are women out there who think that they're not worthy of having good health? Yeah. And I think, again, that goes back to the learned behavior. It might be what we, we learned in our upbringing if we were raised around someone who was ill or someone who had just decent health, right, and kind of thought, you know, I go through in, in body belief, the four limiting beliefs, you know, and then and a few of them kind of circle around this same theory of just if you weren't given this idea that health is attainable, right, that, that thriving health is attainable, that most people think it's just good enough and that's fine, right, and that's good enough to get by. Whereas, say this in the book, most people are walking around at 60 maybe at best 70% their capacity, uh, we really can and should and deserve to be at 90, 95, 100% our capacity, right? But no one's, no one's really showed us that. It almost appears to be either too much work or unattainable. And so I think it's not necessarily like that. I think that they came out and said, we're told, oh, you're going to have this amazing health. And then they developed worthiness issues around their health. It's more that I don't think most 
I don't think most people think it's attainable. And so why bother? Why, why, you know, you have to work really hard at it, right? Or you have to compromise too many things in your life that you can't have good health because it's too much work or I'm sick and, you know, my mother was always sick. And so that's just, it just runs in my family, right? You become the story. So I think we really become the story we tell or the story that we're raised from. There's a question you said earlier, uh, just a while ago about autoimmunity being the body attacking itself. And you said that you think that women attack themselves as well. But in your book, it says that autoimmune is a hostile takeover. Is that hostility yeah. kind of directed towards maybe a lack of a lack of self-love? Because I realized that in our society, yeah. many people do not love themselves. And I had this issue a long time ago, and I really had to practice really loving myself and taking my own best interest. And I know from my experience with working with women years ago that, that women tend to put their needs and their, their selves aside and take care of the husband, the boyfriend, the kids, and everybody else, and then they come last. That's exactly it. And that's, I talk about that in the beginning of the book where, although it may sound cliche, self-love is, is a big centerpiece of this, of that book because it, it just is. And it's not, it's not from a cliche perspective. It's, it's, it's basic. You need to be nourishing and taking care of yourself. And, and, and a huge part of that is tuning into that conversation that you have with yourself in the privacy of your own mind. Most of our thoughts are hostile or they say we think upwards of I think it's 50,000 thoughts a day. 90% of them are the same. And we tend towards more negative than positive thoughts. So it's just that hostility is just kind of there. And some of that is survival of the fittest, right? It's kind of how we were bred way, way back in the day. In order to survive, we had to be always looking for the potential problem, right? And so we were very problem focused and trying to you know, run away from the next lion that was approaching type of thing. And then today's society is very much like that too, of like, am I, you know, if I'm not pretty enough, I'm not going to get the guy or the girl. And if I'm skinny enough and, you know, and if I'm smart enough, I'm not going to get that right job. Right. So there's a lot of this pressure to that we're not good enough and that we have to be better than we are. And so there's always this drive and this, you know, inner critic, which we all have. And, and I have it as well. I think that's why I can write a book like that because I, I understand that inner critic very well, and I've I've become friends with that inner critic, and now I now I actually talk back to it sometimes. Where I'm like, no, I'm fine, you know, this is going to work out for me, you know. Where and I'm sure you went through that too on your path to self love, where you start to just hear and witness how much we get in our own way. Yeah, one of the things I I realized and, and from reading your book and just my own past experience as well is that I think in the book you said something that we are most of our subconscious thoughts are from a negative aspect. And I realized how many yeah. negative thoughts I had over a period of time and how much of a chore it was for me to focus on what was going well. And I would imagine that there's from your book, I would imagine there's a lot of women out there who are focusing on what's wrong with my body. Am I tall enough? Am I smart enough? Am I doing all of this stuff rather than focusing on what's actually going right? What is what, working? Yeah, what yeah. is actually working? What is actually working? And that's working? a lot of the exercise I give in the book, too, is, you know, A, tuning into the dialogue and then B, beginning to shift it, right? And so it's not about, I'm not expecting or recommending that we go from this really hostile, negative, face to you know sunshine and roses i think that's unrealistic and and just not appropriate but how about just asking yourself when that negative or hostile thought comes up just simple question of how can i say it better or would i say it that way to my best friend or to my sister or to my mother or to my spouse or my boyfriend or my girlfriend you know whatever it is we we can put filters on for other people but we don't put them on for ourselves and so how can we start to soften that or even refute the comment. You know, if there's a really negative comment like, oh, your body is broken, it'll never work, you're never going to feel better, to, well, you know, when I did X and Y, I did actually start to feel better. And if I get to bed at 10 or 11, I do feel more refreshed in the morning. So there's just this conversation where it's going from, you know, the, the dark place to just a slightly less darker place to a slightly less darker place, right? Not not a full 180 or a 360, which I think is can be overwhelming and, and I think fairly hard for most people. So it's just about softening 
and being more compassionate and kind to yourself. I think that's really at the root of healing because then when we do that and we allow ourselves, you know, that you know, progress versus perfection basically, right? And we start to just accumulate that progress and build the momentum on that side, then it gets easier and easier to achieve the health goals that we want. But if we if we look and we say, oh, you know, all these people are just eating, you know, autoimmune paleo and there's no way I could ever do that. And so I'm just destined to feel like crap the rest of my life. You know, this kind of thing. It's like you, you, you're calling yourself out of the game before you even gave yourself a shot, you know. So yes. you could just be like, well, why don't I just start slow and steady and I'll just try to remove uh, gluten, whatever it is. You, you mentioned just now perfection and a lot of people have perfection issues. But I wanted you to share your experience of how, because you, you talk about this in the book of how perfection issues kind of caused you to have eating disorders. What what was revolving around you at that point that you felt like you had to be a perfectionist? Yeah, I think it was, you know, I mean, going off to college, um, that was a big transition. I had lost a very dear friend right before we, all my friends and I went off to college. A good friend of ours was, was killed in a car accident. And I think that really just rocked my world. And then also being fairly competitive environment, I came out of my high school being the one of the smarter kids, right? And, um, and then realizing I really had to up my game when I got to college was a bit overwhelming for me. So I, I mean, eating disorders are always about control. And I, so I think I was just trying to control the one thing I could. And then also it was like a new environment, was I as pretty as the other girls, as skinny as the other girls? You know, I never was that girl that really cared much about those things when I was, you know, in high school. It was just pretty easy for me. And, and meaning I, you know, I, I had, I had good self-esteem and I, I never questioned it. And I think when I went to college, something just shifted in there. And I think it was just the, the environment and so many other women were so concerned with how they looked that I thought, oh, I'm, I'm missing out on something. I'm going to have to, you know, become part of this. And eating disorder became a, a, a big piece of that in order for me to feel in control. And it wasn't until, yeah, I began to really do the emotional work and surrender and, and let life flow that I was able to get past that. Yeah, for for. Me personally, and this just might be just, and I don't want to sound chauvinistic or, or anything like that, but I think women are more in touch with their emotions versus what men are. There may be some men that are in touch with their emotions, but how much of these illnesses that women are autoimmune diseases that women are uh, having attached to emotional issues? Because I know you went through something yourself when it came to breastfeeding to, mm-hmm. yeah, where you, some emotions came up and that triggered something. I think it was a rash in you, but how much of this do you think is attached to just emotional issues and how much do you work with women to get to the root core of what's bothering them emotionally? A hundred percent of the time, there's an emotional component mm-hmm. every single time. Um, I don't, I, I, I've never seen a case that there isn't one. And typically the cases that are firmly, you know, the women that firmly say to me, this has nothing to do with my emotions. It's always about them. <laughs> and I, you know, and again, I, I say that with a lot of love, but we're all in our own pain, right? We all have traumas that need to be healed and things that need to be worked out. And, and we weren't raised in a way to understand or to even think that our emotions would have anything to do with our physical ailments, right? But in Chinese medicine, we say there's always an emotional component. And, and when you figure that piece out, that's when you can really peel back the layers of the onion and begin to, like, fix the core of the problem. You know, of course, there are people that were structurally maybe born with something or, you know, genetically. But it's still, our genes really have very little to do with our disease. It really, the, the life we lead that decides whether those genes turn on or turn off. And then stress, which is like the blanket word in the Western world, for emotions has a lot to do with whether those genes turn on or turn off. So I think so much of it is, you know, not just our emotions, but our beliefs. Like, what are your core beliefs? Some people, like if you were raised by a woman who was sick all the time, your core belief might be, oh, you know, mothers are always sick, right? And then you become a mother and you're always sick, right? And I'm sure some people think like that's just out you know, outlandish. How could you even say that? But the research actually shows it too. The thoughts we think impact the neurochemistry in our brain, which impacts the physiology in our body. It's basically like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So 
if there are things that are showing up in your life, you know, I, I challenge you to look at the beliefs that you have around illness or whatever it is that keeps keeps repeating itself in your life because we, we tend to, like I said, 50,000 thoughts, 90% of them are the same. We tend to just think ourselves into our own reality and existence. And so, I mean, to me, there's always an emotional component and, and really it's my favorite part to work with. I feel like the physical stuff can shift, say, maybe 70 80% max. So we can we can get better without addressing the emotions for certain. But if you want to get, like I talk about in the book, the radical healing, you need to unpack the emotional piece. Yeah, I think that's the missing component. A lot of people are willing to work on the physical part, but some people oh, aren't so willing. willing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and most people don't have, they don't work on that emotional, emotional part. I read a book a long time ago, and uh, Carolyn, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Carolyn Miss, I think it's her last name, but one of her in one of her books, she said, people feel the intimacy with themselves. So they're not willing yeah, to run in and do yeah, yeah, and do those emotions. There was one recurring phrase in your book, and I wanted you to explain this, but I wanted you to, to kind of go into it and talk a little bit more in depth about it for, you know, for the audience. And I think it was along the lines of your body always believes what your mind says what yeah. what brought that out your in body the book? hears everything your brain says yes that's, that's um so basically what i was describing that the, the thought you think which could be uh, everyone in my family has heart disease it's like you right so heart disease runs in my family high cholesterol runs in my family diabetes runs in my family so i'm gonna get that you know or whatever you might have family to get that but it runs in my family it runs in my family, it runs in my family. Um, you know, it's almost like then you're setting the pathway in your brain uh, that, okay, heart disease runs in my family, so, it's, you know, I'm destined to get it. And that will then change the neurochemistry, which then sends out signals to your body and will create the state of inflammation, basically, and that could then lead to heart disease. And it's very interesting that we can now see that through neuroscience research that the, that the thoughts we think literally create chemical cascades, which then impact inflammation. So you like there's some of the smaller studies where you can get people to focus on like joyful experiences and the inflammatory response in their body just drops it, it quickly. And then you get people to focus on a stressful experience, you just see inflammation go right up. And so it's just, it might not be that exact thought that's then going to cause exactly heart disease, but it's basically causing a very like threatening reaction in your body, which is a chronic fight or flight response, which will then lead to inflammation and stress in your body and make you more susceptible to the disease that runs in your family because you're genetically predisposed. So it's like, it's, it's, a, it's becoming a very clear cut line between our beliefs and our our physical manifestations. It's very much like the placebo effect, you know, which is very well researched, but that's, that's the basis of the placebo effect. And then there's the nocebo effect. I mean, it's generally along the same line, but that we can think ourselves better or think ourselves sicker. And yeah, so I, I feel like it's our duty to check ourselves as often as we can if we want that emotional intimacy with ourselves. It's not so fun to realize that you, you hear yourself say. One thing, like, I remember my dad would always say to me, like, haste makes ways because I would always be moving so fast and I'd always have to carry, like, everything I needed to my room in one shot. Like, I didn't want to do two trips. But then I would inevitably drop something and something would break or I would have this, like, misstep because I was trying to do too much at once. And so I still hear that. It's My dad is past 10 years and 44 years old. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And I'll still, I'll see myself in the moment. And, and now, though, I take it as a, as a reminder in a sense. Like, I'll hear myself say, haste makes waste, Amy. And, and now I actually slow down. It, it's like, actually, now I use it as a positive view of like, oh, right. Okay, so I'm just going to slow down. I'm going to do one thing at a time, and I'm going to get this done. But it used to be haste makes waste, and it was almost like it would set me into this thing of like, yeah, you can never get it right. You're, you're always screwing things up. You're moving too fast. You're not paying attention. It was a negative thing for a very long time. And I don't think he necessarily meant that way. He just wanted me to slow down and be more conscious. But it's just really interesting that like I still hear something that was said to me as a child, you know, and I hear it in my, my head every day. And just I think we all have those things inside of us, and, and some of them are not as 
as easy to look at than others. Yeah, it's just a, you did a good example of really reframing a conversation. And I was going to ask you that next is, <clears throat> excuse me, how do you actually start having a better dialogue with, with yourself? What are some of the things that people can do or women can do to have that better dialogue with themselves? And you mentioned earlier in the interview of just softening things up. How, what would be an example of being able to do that? Well, I think like when you say the not so nice thing to yourself, which let's see, maybe it's something like you you never get that right. You always seem to screw it up, or you know, you're not you're not that good at, at running or exercising or whatever. And then what you could do is you just I encourage this in the book too, start talking back to that voice and be like, well, is that true? I'm not sure if that's true because there was that one time, you know, when I took that class and I felt like I, I did really well and my body felt good and I felt strong. And so, okay, so not always am I not good at exercise, but maybe sometimes I don't feel like I'm the best at it, right? So it's just this thing where you just start to have that, like, softer conversation where you almost defend yourself to yourself. And I think from there, it creates softens it and it's like it doesn't become like this heightened argument that's not what i'm trying to, to get at it's more that you're 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 basically proving to yourself that that statement isn't isn't true it's not 100 percent true it's a generalization or an assumption that you might not even have been the one who made made it about yourself right like who knows maybe i always had to hate to make waste because my dad said it to me once and then i thought well that's me that's my personality right and i became it you know we're, we're just we're not quite sure of, of the chicken or the egg there but it's it's just this way of starting to calm yourself down and then another way that i give an example in the book is, is compare yourself to other people like uh, deal with a lot of women trying to get pregnant right so mm-hmm. you know, something like like you know i'm never going to get pregnant I'm too old my eggs are all bad you know my body's just broken and so i might as well just quit this you know, my body's broken and it's never going to work and then it could go to well it read about that one story of that woman and she was my age and it, it did eventually work out for her. So maybe, maybe it could work out for me, you know, and that's like, that's another way to reframe it. And then you start to look. And the, the interesting thing too is, and this goes back to the neuroscience, when we start to reframe our perception of the world shifts. And so when you were in that space of I'm broken, it's never going to work. I'm never going to get pregnant. All you see is basically either people that that are pregnant that are proving you wrong, like you're the you're the one who's isolated, or you're surrounded by people who who have a similar story or kind of believe that story. And then the second you start to reframe it of like there's possibility, there's hope, you start to see the hope. Or or maybe one of the pregnant women that you see on the street, you get into a conversation and she shares her story with you that she's been trying for six years and it worked out and she's her age, right? So all of a sudden what happens is as you reframe that belief, your whole perception of your world, you actually expand your world a little bit and you start to see something differently and then you get the um, the social support for that belief. And if you stay in the, the really negative belief, you'll get social support for that negative belief because that's, that's what you're looking for, basically. You're just, you constantly look for feedback to support the belief. Mm-hmm. And so as you start to shift the belief, then you're going to get feedback to support that belief. And so it's a really interesting process. So it's almost like the second you start to shift it, then you're going to get the momentum because the, the world starts feeding you back, you know, ways to support that belief. Yeah, I've had my beliefs challenged. I had a similar situation that happened to me. I live in South Florida and I always had this belief that I could never get a job making a certain amount of money. And everything would support that belief. And then I had a friend that moved back to South Florida from Arizona and he he called me one day. He said, yeah, he's like, I just got a job. He'd only been here like, I think a month and he got a job. And he's like, I'm making $90,000 a year. And it just, it just squashed my whole belief. And it ended up making me change the way that I saw different things. And I ended up getting a job where I was making a lot, way more money than I ever made as, as a base salary. But sometimes it may take you know, someone to come in and squash that belief for you to change it. Or you have to look for that rare instance, that rare instance. where, Yeah. And a lot of people, they focus on their belief and they always equate reality to that instead of just focusing on that rare instance that, hey, this person is doing something that I'm not doing. Maybe it's time for me to refocus, you know, refocus my belief. Well, that's it. It's all you need is like that glimmer of hope, you know, because we all have it. We just are afraid to admit it to ourselves sometimes, or we've been beaten down 
enough that we don't want to talk about it anymore, right? It's just, mm-hmm. we're, it's too scary to admit that we have hope because it's been taken from us so many times, right? So, but, you know, I believe too, right? Someone who picks up my book or even listens to this podcast, there's some hope in there. And so it's just more about activating that, reactivating that. And it, it doesn't mean you have to be hopeful all the time. Because I also can think, I think that can be a little unrealistic. But just uh, my teacher, you know, I'm a big Abraham Hicks student. And she says, like, listen, 60% of the time, if you're thinking good, positive thoughts, like, your life's going to change. It doesn't have to be 100% of the time. Just So it is that thing of, like, so going instead of, you know, I, I do it a lot with my fertility girls. Instead of going down, like, the dark hole of those forums about every woman talking about, how our eggs are all bad and they're going to get pregnant. Like, why don't you go to like my website and read my stories of hope? Because every month we put up another story of another woman who overcame her fertility challenges, you know? So why don't you just start focusing on what could work versus what isn't working, you know, or what is broken? It's just, it's literally the other side of the coin. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot we shared that. I forgot when we interviewed a couple of years ago that we oh, both did it. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, I just got something to mail from them today that she's going to be here in March. So I'm planning, oh, planning on going. I missed last year, but this year I'm, I'm planning on going. I'm getting back to reconnecting. I know you share a couple of different areas in your book where you help women to do certain things. I had to laugh out loud when I was reading a book about you. I think it was you talking to different women or maybe another practitioner talking to different women and women, they couldn't even remember when they had their last poop, how many times they had a bowel yeah. movement and all That's of that me stuff. In the you know, it, it, it happened uh, yesterday in the clinic and I, I forget, it was like a fairly new client and I was like, well, what? She said, oh, my stomach's been off or something. And I said, well, what, what are your bowel movements like? She was like, hmm. God, when did I have my last bowel movement? I mean, no joke. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not. I'm laughing because it's it's crazy that people aren't that yeah. connected to their body. They're so disconnected, mm-hmm. but yet they're like on their phone, and you can get to your Instagram app without even opening your eyes. You know, it's like, but you don't know the last time you went poop. Okay, you know I, that fascinates me. I mean, that's like a. I feel like the the first part of my job is like just get people to live in their bodies again. You know, how do you feel when you wake up in the morning? Oh, are you tired every day? Um, um, I don't know. You know, it's like, it's, it's really interesting, but many of us are like that. Well, we're just so used to what we experience every day in our own life that when people ask us questions, it's like, we, we can't quite remember because we haven't been asked that question maybe ever before. Yeah. We think it's normal. And going, going back to, just from what I remember about the book, you said that when someone goes in and they have lab work, if a woman goes in, she have lab work, and they tell you that you are normal, should that be a red flag for women? Uh, well, I don't think the appropriate lab work is done most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. So I do go over in the book the right test to ask your doctor. But if you're dealing with a lot of symptoms and you don't feel well most of the time, and your doctor says everything's fine, you know, you do probably need to look deeper or find another doctor. Especially when it comes to autoimmune conditions, they say that it takes the average autoimmune client, it's something like five different doctors over a six-year period before they get a diagnosis. And, you know, I'm from the world of Chinese medicine where we don't really care what the diagnosis is. We're just about, you know, you need to feel better. So I don't really need the diagnosis in my clinic. But I do think a lot of people need a name to give it, right, or a reason for the the suffering. And then from there, it really motivates them. Yeah, dude, let me ask you this. Do you think most people become their diagnosis? Mm, They can. And I talk about that in the book, too, of, like, Stop identifying yourself by your disease or your illness. You know, like, I, and I challenge people, like, what, you know, what's your elevator pitch on, on your health, right? Like, what is your 30-second thing that you, what do you share with people about your health? And you'd be surprised when you start talking what, what beliefs you have around your health. And, and you should really do it about every big aspect in your life, money, relationships, family, health, mindset, you know, emotional state. What is your 30-second elevator pitch about that space in your life? And, and that's where you can really un- uncover your beliefs. But a lot of people, and I've dealt with some really chronic illnesses in my practice, and 
Some people have no idea who they will be, what they will be, if they are not their disease. They they built their whole life around it now. Their friends are part of it. Their you know their social circle, their their doctors are a part of their every every week existence. You know their medications, right? It's very it can be very life altering for people to get well, and in, in a scary way. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. We talked a lot about just mindset, but I know that there are some things that you can do from a physical perspective when it comes to autoimmunity. And one of the things that you touch on in the book is really healing the gut, just getting more, yeah. uh, getting rid of intestinal permeability. And one of the things I've, I've followed you over a period of time, and I think you're a big proponent of uh, bone broth. Why do you like bone broth so much when it comes to really healing the gut? Well, bone broth has been a part of Chinese medicine for 5,000 years. You know, we say that anything that's cooked down from the bone is very healing to the jing in the body, which jing is basically our essence. That's the translation, which you, you could, you know, relate to your genetic makeup. And so we think that if you're ill or trying to heal or like just have given birth and whatever, you're trying to get your body to perform better one of the best things you can do is to nourish it with something cooked down from the bone and also with organ meat. So that's been a Chinese medicine theory for thousands of years. And you talked about bone broth, I think, 10 years ago in my first book. And so to me, it's I love to see the trends now. I think it's great. And I also love to see the research that the collagen that comes from when you cook down the bones and the thickness of the broth seems to help heal the leaky gut junctions in the gut. And that seems to help with the intestinal permeability, obviously, but with autoimmunity. There's, there hasn't been a single case of autoimmunity that doesn't show leaky gut symptoms. So we know, and our immune system lies in our gut, so we know we have to start there. And it's not just about adding bone broth to a crappy diet. You really got to change your diet, too. But bone broth also has every amino acid in there, and those are the building blocks of life. And it's a great source of protein and fat. And it's, you know, it's, it's just very healing and therapeutic to the body, and it's very broken down, so it's easily assimilated and digested. And, yeah, it's something that I've, I've always recommended and, you know, now in the age of, of gut health being such a hot topic. Yeah. I love to see the popularity. I, I worry about the bones. Are we going to run out of bones at some point? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> and all the powders, you know. I mean, yeah. I, I say, like, I always say, like, okay, so the bone broth powder or the palate and peptides, that's like a B. Bone broth is an A+, plus, you know. So, but for some people, you know, that's, that's all they can get in and that that's fine. And I get it, you know, and I think it's better than nothing. But it's also this thing of like, you can't out supplement a crappy diet. So I don't want you just adding bone broth in and continuing to eat like, you know, cheese doodles and fried chicken or something. But well, I like fried chicken, but it depends on the quality of the chicken, I suppose, and what it's fried in. But um, that, that you're really looking at your, your diet overall and, and really eating lots of good vegetables and protein and fat and limiting everything else, basically. Are, just a question for you that came to me. Are most women, you're working with women on a daily basis, are most women disconnected from what they're eating? Do they have any? Because I know for most people, they're eating in their cars. They're doing, I, I yeah. know for me, I'm at work and sometimes I don't have the time. So I'm just shoveling food in my mouth. But are most yeah. people just, women in particular, are they just disconnected from what they're eating? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I have fertility cases, I think those women are so eager to get pregnant that I do see them as the most motivated population, to be very honest, because they have a very clear end result they're trying to achieve. So a good portion of them will come to me and they've either already read my my, my second book, Yes, You Can Get Pregnant, or you know, they've been following people online and they're they're now have an understanding that there's certain things they need to stop eating. But yeah, a lot of people are just very disconnected. My mother, I love her dearly, and, and she has thing where she always has like some sinus issues and like some reflux and chest congestion. And and it, to me, it's clear cut. It's a gluten situation. Every time she eats gluten, she she breaks into like a sneezing attack every single time. And I and every time I'm like, Mom, 
mom, have you, did you notice that you had the bread and then you sneezed and now you're congested and you have reflux? Did, did you put that together? You know, you're 70 years old. Like, <laughs> your daughter has written all these books on these things. Like, you work in my clinic. Have you put it together? I know. I Like, she just doesn't want to book. Like, she's like, I want to be able to eat my bread. I want to, I want to have my pasta when I want to have it. And it's like, I, I understand that, but you're suffering. You see that, right? Very interesting. You're like my husband, you know, Tuesday nights I'm in the clinic late and he always jokes that Tuesday nights are his Chinese night because he, he eats healthy all week long. <laughs> and so <laughs> then he'll eat the Chinese and the next day he's on the toilet for like half the day. And, so like <laughs> and I'm like, did you not like, and, and he's almost like it's worth it. You know, like it's almost like he rebelled and got away with it. So it's, we do use food as a real coping mechanism too, right? Mm-hmm. So some people are like, you want me to give up? You know, I love my wine and my cheese, you know, and, and it's, um, it is, it's not, it's not the easiest lifestyle to get used to, but once you're used to it and you see how good you feel, then it's also, it's okay once in a while to deviate. I think that's fine. You know, we're all human, but it's, it, there's usually it's very clear cut and people just feel dramatically better when they make the shift but yeah most people are not that in touch yeah I, f- I found that loved ones no, are kind of, loved ones are probably one of the hardest ones to convert it's, it's, it's something about people that are close yeah. to you you can do everything but put the food in oh. their mouth and make them eat the right things I don't even bother anymore I mean that's kind of like a joke she just started teasing after dinner tonight and that I ate like the baked fish and she made this breaded fish and it looked really yummy, but I won't eat it because of the gluten. And I'm doing this program with, with a bunch of people in my, in my social circle. Um, based on body weight, we're doing this called the reboot and rewire. It's a 30 day mind body transformation and we're in the purify phase in the body belief book. So it's like super clean eating. So anyway, she made the breaded fish and right after she starts sneezing, you know, and it's like, wow, you don't see that, that correlation. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's their thing. Uh, last question for you and this is kind of a kind of heavy one there's something that you might be familiar with i call it um mirror reflection i think you might have touched on this is that Mm -hmm. uh, early on is where people that we hang around and certain things that we do mirror what's going on inside of us how Mm -hmm. much does that play into illness because i know a lot of people tend to hang around other people that are obese, they hang around, they uh, correlate in groups. They might be a group of uh, people who for it is dedicated to some illness like uh, cancer yeah. survivors or things of uh-huh. that nature. But how much of that plays into to illness and, and does it play into a bigger part that we aren't able to break away from these cases of autoimmunity because we're using these, these things to support what our diagnosis is yeah it's like a yes and a no i mean i'm getting like an abraham flashback where it's like someone was like you know she's like get out of those groups you know get out of those forums because it just depends on the energy of the people are people around you in their self-pity and feeling you know sorry for themselves and like and i don't mean that in a, that maybe sounds mean i don't mean it like that it's like what's their energy like? Is it low and is it negative? Or are you in a support group for people dealing with cancer or obesity? And it's like highly motivated. And we're all talking about like positive changes that we've made in our our days and and like what last week looked like in comparison to this week. And we're on this upward momentum. So I really think it's, it can become for sure like a self-fulfilling, you know, prophecy where you're all just feeding off each other and everybody just stays sick together or it can be highly motivating. Like I have some online groups and we just do a really good job of making sure like you can definitely come here and you can vent because we're all having challenges. Absolutely. But we also ask that in your venting that you find the positive, like where is the positive in this moment, in this challenge that you're having. And then I see too that then the other women come in and they really support one another. And they're like, yes, I went through this and this is what really helped me. And I went through this or refer to this video or, you know, try this. And it, it creates this really positive, beautiful experience that I think is transformative. So it really just depends on the people you're surrounding yourself with, like their level of energy and are they moving the ball forward or are they just want to stay where they're at and, and complain about it? Yeah. Thank you. A lot of people that want to do that. 
But, and I had one more question <laughs> and then we'll, I'll let you go right. here. But how much of this, you've been working with people throughout the years, fertility and, and all these things. And the book is really good. I didn't want to give a lot of the book away because I want people to go out and actually purchase it because it had some Thanks. really good stuff in there. And I tried to just touch on, you know, more of the mindset stuff and then a little bit of physical stuff. But working with people over the years, how much of this is physical versus mental? Is it 50-50? Is it 70-30? How much would you say if you had to put a percentage on the physical and the mental part? Gosh, I mean, it's hard. It's like our environment is so compromised and there's just so many toxins, right, that we're mm-hmm. exposed to. And I do think they play a huge role in, in every disease that's like epidemic right now, you know, from cancer to autoimmunity to fertility challenges um so i i think i think the environment coupled with our emotional state is, is you know at the root of all of those and and what do i think it is it's like it's case dependent to be honest mm-hmm. but i guess if i had to generalize I, i'd call it like a 50 50 in some cases some cases the emotions are bigger than you know because i'll get cases where they're like I'm doing the diet. You know, I've been autoimmune paleo for four years and I don't feel much better. And it's like, okay, well then we're not looking at, there's an emotional piece. You know, so I also don't know the state they were in before they started doing the diet, right? But we're missing something. So there's the emotional piece. And then I have people that have done tons of emotional work and they're still not feeling better. And then it's the diet or the lifestyle that we have to shift, right? So they're for sure both involved and you know, I'd give them equal weight. I think I'd give them equal weight. Yeah. So it'd be 50, 50, but Amy, your book is called body belief, how to heal autoimmune diseases, radically shift your health and learn to love your body more. What is, if people want to work with you, what is a website? And you mentioned some Facebook groups and and different things. So you can inform people about that. Yeah. So you can find me at my website. It's amyralph.com. And my Facebook and Instagram handles as well are the same, Amy Ralph. I do weekly Facebook Lives every week. I come to you with a different health topic, and I do them uh, live stream on Facebook and Instagram. So it's a really fun way to start to get to know me and my uh, principles and how I practice, uh, and it's free. And then you can check out my books. You can find them on my website or on Amazon or really any place books are sold. And what else? Yeah, I mean, on my site, you can see all the ways you can work with me. I have online groups. I have online courses. I have PDFs and webinars and, of course, my books. And then I'm also in a clinic in private practice, uh, practicing acupuncture in, in New York City. Amy, thank you so much for being on. Thanks so much, Aaron. Thank you.